California and is a good church, but the thing that's thinking about to me about that church today is that it was called celebration. I like that. We come to church sometimes and we, we close our eyes and we we dry our tears. Man, I'm all for that. That's good. I just get the sense in the spirit that man we, we can be happy, you know, it's allowed. There's good stuff happening around here. People are getting jobs. New life is being created. We always talk about all the bad stuff. You ever notice that? There's some good stuff going on. There's a reason for us to be happy. There's a reason for us not to be ushered by some church leader to say, it's your breath in our lungs and we'll shout our praise, but taxes are hard and then... The, the campaign and the presidential election it's just or it's all going downhill however there are those times when you don't need anybody to tell you you just jump up and if you won the lottery today I think you'd be acting a little bit different we would be shouting our praise to the Lord and I wouldn't have to tell you how to do it can we just be happy this morning? Can we be happy Christians this morning? Can we be redeemed and saved and the righteousness of God? Look, folks, I know it's hard, but it ain't all that bad because we're His. So can we sing this song just one more time? I'm not going to... It's not a pet rally. I'm not telling you to jump up and down if you don't want to. I'm just saying all the good stuff is from Him too. And He's worthy to be praised. So let's just sing this one more time. You say... That your joy will be our strength. Lord, I pray that we begin to plan our day and don't even consider our own bodily energy. Are we gonna, are we planning too much? Is it gonna be too hard? We have to allot a certain amount just for today because, you know, we'll run out of gas. Lord, I pray that we just get happy. But I pray that the joy of the Lord becomes our strength and that 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 joy, it it fills the gap for a lot of the areas that we're missing. We may not have a Lamborghini out front, but we're happy. That's a lot more than a lot of people can say. Things may be hard at home, but I'm saved by a righteous king who calls me his own. I have a reason to be happy. Lord, it all may be hard and it all may be going downhill, but it's your breath in our lungs. Lord, my heart is still beating. I have a reason to be happy. Lord, be our strength this morning. Overcome our faults. Lord, take your joy and just smear it all over us. Lord, we we shout your name from the highest place this morning. And everybody said... Amen and amen. You guys can be seated. Thank you so much for coming this morning. My name is Beck, and I'm one of the pastors here. This is my my last week as the uh, not my last week as a pastor here. Man, words you got to be careful. You can start thinking about other stuff and then just stuff, and then you're in trouble. Pastor Alex was gracious enough to come here and, and lead worship for us today, though he doesn't get off vacation until next uh, Sunday. So he'll be back, and then you guys don't have to deal with me anymore, and even more reason to be joyous and happy. Today's message is called Salt. 
a study in the recipe of restoration. I told the first service that I spent like two hours trying to Google that picture. And now that I'm up here, I'm like deeply convicted that that's some sort of like copyright infringement. (laughs) So for those of you Puritans out there, man, I'm sorry. (laughs) Uh, We're studying in the book of Nehemiah. We're in the first verse of the ninth chapter. Nehemiah has been uh, just a blessing to teach, but also to learn from these last couple weeks. If you haven't been with us, the book of Nehemiah is a story about a man who gets convicted by God, his name is Nehemiah, to go back to his home city in Israel and rebuild the wall that surrounds the kingdom. The distinctify, dis, makes them a distinctive nation. Words are hard. But it's not Nehemiah's leadership or skill that brings this to be. This book is really about the power of God. And how, and what we're all capable to do when we would take our weight and press it off our own ability and skill. And lean ourselves onto Christ and His plan. A lot more can get done than you think. This guy who's never built anything in his entire life takes a couple thousand boneheads who have been slaves most of their life. And they build this wall in 52 days. About seven stories roughly in some areas of big stone. This is a project. When they're finished, they get together and they read from the word for the first time that this group has done in over a hundred years of their history. They're the children of God and they haven't read his own word. They're coming together. God's restoring them. They read the whole Old Testament. I told you guys a couple weeks ago that next week we're just going to stand. I'm going to read the whole, uh, the first five books of the Bible and you're just going to have to stay standing the whole time. Man, I promise good things will happen. I'm not going to do that to you. <laughs> People today where, say I've read Leviticus like it's a badge of honor. Got through Leviticus. I'm be first in line in heaven, bro. <laughs> read the whole thing. Numbers 2. They read the first five books of the Bible and they're, they're recounting their history, but they're also learning who they really are. When they do this, this massive revival breaks out. What we're going to talk about today is what happened to these people after they read the book of the law and they, they began to worship together. So here's the scene for you. This is how it lays out, if you will, in, in 2016 Fort Collins language. There is a massive stage put in front of City Hall. Back then it would be the temple. Today it would be City Hall. Where the governors and and business leaders are and all the priests in the city. Okay, In In front is this crowd of people... Some have heard about God, their parents knew um, the Lord, they taught certain traditions, but it's all kind of, it was like the, the law of diminishing returns. Every year, it was a little less, and a little less, and a little less. So there's this faint understanding of who God is, but there's not a great depth and personal knowing. Now there's, there's thousands of these people here, men, women, and children, who have just erected this, this massive wall, they have a people, they have a temple... They have homes, and now they have a wall. God is completing the restoration of these people that he promised over a hundred years prior to this. Now, uh, what does that have to do with salt? (laughs) We'll talk about that here at the end of the scripture. Um, I want to welcome you, before we go any further into Nehemiah, uh, 
to Easis. Many of you have been here for years. Easis means a healing place. That's what that means. We've talked about for years that we want to do in here what it says on our sign out there. Now, right now it says Hilton, but you guys get the point. I don't even know what that word means. <laughs> Probably messed up big time. Today, in today's culture, to have power or influence or to be effective, there are certain ingredients required. If I was going to call um, uh, effectiveness a recipe, you'd need money. Be a key ingredient. You'd need power. And to have power, you'd have to have some sort of public platform. Hillary, uh, however, whatever you think about Hillary is irrelevant. The... She spent a half a billion dollars on her campaign so far. I can't run for president because I don't have a billion dollars. <laughs> right, in order to be somebody now, there are certain ingredients that seem to be required. You need to be able to get on TV. You need to have an audience. How many t- people follow you on Twitter? And so far, and not very many follow me. <laughs> So it would look like today in this church, in this Hilton, that we don't have the recipe to be effective or successful. If you want to come here and find something to critique, it's going to be easy to do. You can. Maybe the music's too calm. Maybe it's too loud. Maybe I don't preach the way you think I should. Maybe you're right. But if you want to come here today and get encouraged, man, I, I pray that you do that. I pray that you can lift your head up just a little bit higher. I pray that if you've felt far away from Jesus, you can leave a little closer to him. I pray that if you're lost, you can become found here. See, the beauty and the way God cooks his recipe and how it's different from the world is it doesn't need the same stuff. Because if you can get encouraged... And you can get closer to the Lord. And you may be lost and you can get found here without a ton of money and without a big platform or CNN or thousand followers on Twitter following me or this church. Then we are being effective. The Bible says that he's going to make a way where there is no way. He will do things that are impossible to man. He doesn't need to think about his energy source like, oh man, am I putting too many things in my day? I'm going to get too tired. God never considers that. Love doesn't consider logic. It defies logic to send your only son. Defies it. And he did it anyway. So my belief, because we are God's church, that we can be the same level of effective without the same ingredients that the world needs. The point is this. I pray this morning that you can get something out of today, not because of how good we are or how well we perform or how hard I've tried, but because of who he is in me and in you and in here. Does that make sense? So any frustration that we have or, or low browed, man, I'm just another Sunday at church for a second. Would we consider putting that aside and allowing the Lord to be effective in us, allowing his recipe for success to work here? Can we do that? Okay, salt still has nothing to do with what I said. Sorry, I got carried away. Oh, before we go any farther, every week I've been showing a picture of my vacation. You guys probably hate this. You're so happy for next week when you don't have to watch these anymore. And that is a picture of my butt. No, I'm kidding. That was a bad joke. 
that is uh that is me there and some giant man holding my hand. No, I got it the other way around. That's me, and then that's my four-year-old nephew, Easton. And I, he's my idol, so I dress just like him. And there we are. We are walking on a, my mom's land in North Carolina. And she, she just built this road. Her and her husband actually constructed uh, everything there. They're developing it. Uh, all themselves. Now, this is a great moment, and I could get super deep with it. I'm not going to because the truth is, as soon as that snap of the photo was finished, he was off running away towards some coyote or some nonsense. So it was less, less, less like the brief moment of bliss, and it looks so like it, like like maybe it belongs on a card or something. But the very next second, it was the chaos that our lives truly are. So uh, that's the last picture. There's in North Carolina with my. Uh, little nephew Easton. His last name is Mora. So don't think, you know, Easton, Easton, that'd be, first grade would be tough. (laughs) Okay. So what we're going to do here, we're going to, we're going to read through the scriptures together, content and context. It's important that whenever you study the Bible, not to just start pulling things out of it because of what you think. It's important to study the word in such a way that we might learn from it, not us tell the world what we think about it. Do you see the difference? It's very important. So we're going to go line by line and verse by verse through each of the first five scriptures of chapter nine. Then we're going to go back through and see what we can glean as a community together. Good. Okay. Verse one, chapter nine of Nehemiah up here. It looks like a shower head. That's actually supposed to be a salt shaker moving on. Now, on the 24th day of the month, the sons of Israel assembled with fasting in sackcloth and with dirt upon them. The descendants of Israel separated themselves from all foreigners. They stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. While they stood in their place, they read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a fourth of the day. And for another fourth of the day, they confessed and worshipped the Lord their God. Verse 4. Now, on the Levites... Platform stood Joshua, Benai, Kadamel, Shebaniah, Buni, Sherebiah, Benai, and Kenaniah, Keniah, and they cried out with a loud voice to the Lord their God. Then the Levites, Jeshua, Kadamel, Benai, Hashbash, Benaiah, Sherebiah, Hadiah, Shebaniah, and Petaniah said, Arise, bless the Lord your God forever and ever. O may your glorious name be praised sorry, be blessed and exalted above all blessing and praise. Today's message is about the recipe for restoration. If I could uh, write a master's thesis on anything in theology, I would write my book on, on God's provision and plan for restoring his people. Because he makes the same recipe, if you will, if he's going to make it for the individual, for you or I. But he also makes the same recipe for a community, for a church. Watch this. The very same recipe for restoration he uses for the nation of Israel, he uses for us. And it has some very key ingredients. Now, I'm a big fella, and I enjoy something to eat from time to time. When I was a child, first and second grade, my nickname was the garbage disposal because I was going to eat whatever you were about to throw away. (laughs) Mama tried to be be the healthy girl, cucumbers in my sandwich. Don't do that. Moms, just stop it. Don't do that. 
Because you know what's going to happen? They're going to eat your little cucumber sandwich and then go scalp everybody in the little lunchroom for their Twinkies. <laughs> I'm a big boy, man. I needed more than the cucumber, okay? But she's an incredible cook. Phenomenal. She would make dishes that um, companies that were catering would buy from her. She would work recipes together. Now, never had a cookbook in front of her in her life. She just, she had everything she would ever need kind of in her wheelhouse in front of the stove. We grew up in this real small uh, community south in south, southern Colorado, and it was an old, old house, so the kitchen was rather small, not a big, expansive one like you see today. And everything was just like in her wheelhouse, and she was just like doing a little dance, put a little splash of this, something here, and then she'd taste it. Moms, that's another thing. Stop doing that. You put the spoon in the, in the, in the bowl, and you put it in your mouth on it, and then you put it back, Okay? germs are real. This is 2016. You need to stop. It's a health code even in your house. But she would just put a little something. She'd taste it and she'd say, oh, it needs some milk or a splash of salt or something else. And every night, my mom would blow my mind with what she would come up with. Now, I don't know if she could ever repeat the recipe. When we were in North Carolina, my wife got an uh, opportunity to experience some of the cooking I've been talking about. She made chicken divan son. I took a picture of it, okay? People take pictures of sunsets, legal documents. I took a picture of a piece of chicken. She blew it up. She has this ability to create a recipe. Not She's not looking to, to, to match what's on a book. She's looking for what tastes right. Her objective is good. And she has a gifting through her own understanding and taste buds or whatever, to, to meet that objective for everybody that she's serving. God has the same ability for us. When he wants to restore you, he knows exactly how to do it. And he knows every ingredient required. Some of it may seem like, ah, oh, man, I don't want that ingredient. I don't like tomatoes. Don't, Lord, don't put that in my recipe. That's not for me. Our restoration would not be the same without each and every piece that God puts in our way. Amen? Okay, so we're going to talk about the or recipe for restoration as if it were uh, God was cooking it together, separate ingredients brought together. Okay, so let's go through the uh, the scriptures here for content and context. Verse 1 is, talks about fasting and sackcloth, sackcloth and dirt. These people should be celebrating. They're finally a nation. They're not slaves anymore. It's coming together. We're talking about 70 years working for somebody who isn't your God. And that's the second time they had to do it. This is a brutal history. They're finally on the same page. They're finally together. And it looks like they're going to a funeral. See, they're fasting. They're saying, I don't care about what's going on in my body talked about in last service the survival mentality it's really an epidemic in today's culture we think things are so hard in our life that we have to survive the day now what does survival require that you think about nothing else but yourself i can't be in the wilderness trying to survive and worried about next christmas and what i'm going to get little easton I have to think what I need for my day today. And what this does is it takes your entire world and universe and it bends it in on yourself. Fasting is the opposite of that thinking. It's the antithesis. It's the other side of the paradigm. Fasting says, I reject myself and what I need. 
I hear my flesh boiling up. I look at the pictures on that my mom sends about the dishes that she cooks, and I choose to say, man, that looks awesome, but I can't, I can't have it. I can't choose that thing. I'm denying my own flesh. What happens when you deny your flesh? It dies. It feels like you're dying. How can you be a survivalist and want to feel like you're dying? How can I survive? Think about myself and my goal to be to deny the flesh. You can't. Your thinking has to be somewhere else, not on yourself. These people have moved from survivalist mentality in in God's restoration to becoming considerate of their God and their king in denial of themselves. I can prove it even farther. Sackcloth is something you wrapped a dead body in. These guys put a potato sack, imagine one hole for the head and two holes for the arms. If you took a potato sack and turned it upside down, and you just wore that. One, very unfashionable. Be brutal. Yeah, I'm the king of fashion. I'm ready for the flood, at least I know that. But it irritates the skin. It tells the world that you're not trying to be interesting to the world, and it tells your flesh you're not trying to be interesting to it either. They also said they put dirt on their head. In ancient times throughout history, what you put on your head represented or told the world what you were. Think of the tweet today. Or the the Facebook status. I express myself through that medium. In in, in Nehemiah's time, they expressed themselves by what they put on their head. Now, traditionally, this is done with ashes. If you were mourning, you'd put ashes on your head. If you were celebrating or you felt victory, you'd put a crown on your head. If you were dead, you would have nothing, you would, you'd be fasting, there'd be no need for food. You'd be put in sackcloth and buried in dirt. These people are experiencing the greatest day of their life. God is restoring them and their next response is to say, I'm committing myself like I was dead. I'm, you can put me in the grave if you need to. I'm prepared for death. I'm committed on to death. These people are being restored, not so they can celebrate themselves, but what they're realizing is that they are nothing. That God doesn't need a nation, he doesn't need a government, and he doesn't need us. Think, man, that's a bummer. (laughs) How are you going to tell me at the beginning of service to be happy, and then you're going to lay that on me? Because the beauty is, though he doesn't need us, he asked us to participate. He makes us an essential part of his own recipe. And he doesn't have to use us. These people are realizing that I am, I am just as valuable alive as I am dead. Because I'm worthless in comparison to you. My flesh does not matter. My desires do not matter. My personal intellect or goals or my myself does not matter in comparison to you. But if you, Lord, would sustain me that I'm willing. It's a beautiful picture here in verse 1. Verse 2 and 3 says that they separated themselves from all foreigners. They confessed their sins and the sins of their fathers. Then they uh, they opened the word. They began to read the word again. It says they remained standing and they, sorry, oh, sorry, and they worshiped. They worshiped their Lord. They separated themselves They confessed their sin in prayer. They found the truth in the word, and then they worshiped God for it. Sounds like a good, quiet time to me. 
We have advanced in every area of church. We have a software right now that turns you guys into these like graphs and measurements and who's coming how many days a week and your biopic and your number and how I can, I can identify who's related to two and how and I, it's like you guys have, I put all of a church inside of a computer system. It's amazing. But there's no computer system on earth that's ever going to replace a man rolling out of his bed and putting his face in the Bible. Confessing his sin. Worshiping the Lord. Reading the Word. Exalting His name. There is no app for that. He says amen, alright. That's very good. We think that because we we advance, I talked about this last week, we can leave some things behind us because we're getting better. There are some things that God has put in our place and designed for the church to function that can never be replaced or left behind. Men, get up in the morning early and read your word. It's going to change your life. Devote yourself to worship to confession and prayer. Women, you guys are dealing with stress all the time. You can, I can just feel it on your shoulders. There's so much in the world and in your family that you are concerned with that's outside of your hands. Fall on your face. Fast. Separate yourself from the distractions of this earth. You're thinking, Beck, what does that have to do with my, my bills? How is that going to pay the bills? Well, in 3,000 years of history, and the proof that it provides, want to bet? Prove me wrong. Test it. Test his eternal purpose and glory. Test his promise and see how it turns out. He is a faithful and good God who, his, in his word, says that whatever he puts out there can never come back empty. He sends you on a mission when you come back, you're never going to come out saying, oh man, it didn't work. The Bible says the word of the Lord will never return void. We have to trust in that. And we can prove it through our life. Then, in verse 4, the leaders get together and the community, they're all, they're all standing on this platform like we talked about. There's a word for this. Revival. There's two points about revival that I need to make today. The first point is, we talked about this a little uh, in the last couple weeks as well. No man can start a revival. I can't put a revival in my calendar and say, this is what the church is going to do. Come next week for the revival. It makes no sense. God takes a dead thing and brings it to life again when he says so. He is the one that can bring revival. He is the one that restores life to something. And when he does so in a corporate group, it's because of his recipe of restoration, not because of man's effort or planning. The second point about revival is on the other side. For those of you in the room that have been jaded by that word, or the past is kind of, oh, someone sent you to a revival and it was just all a mess, a bunch of man-made effort, you need to know revivals are real. In the same way that God can bring Lazarus from death to life, he can do the same thing with his church. He absolutely can. There's nothing that we need to do on our end or planning on our end. That's true. But to say, oh, those are some sort of dispensational, that's a time in history. We don't need to be revived today because we're God's bride and we're just waiting for our big wedding day. Man, that's not true. 
God can bring His Holy Spirit in and do whatever He wants. We need to know those two truths about revival. He says in their worship, he says, may you, may your name, sorry, oh, may your glorious name be blessed and exalted above all blessings and praise. They realize they're blessed because they're in a community, they're a part of a government, their good things are happening, and because of that, they're exalting where that blessing comes from, not the blessing itself. Sometimes we get something good to happen in our life. It finally goes right. And we cast our eyes from heaven down to the object. Beware. This is a, this is the fault of a fool. He stumbles upon his own blessing. That when you, something good happens, we exalt the Lord. That make sense? We lessen ourselves. Okay. So now that we have an understanding of the scripture, are we all good? We can, we can grasp the concept of the time. Let's talk about this recipe of respiration, or <laughs> restoration, not respiration. There are three ingredients that God uses fundamentally throughout all of history to restore his people. The first is honor. The second is devotion. And the third is promise, his promise. Let's talk about honor for a second. The highest form of honor there is in the universe is in heaven. And we need to get this point very clearly. This is something that, as a teacher, uh, is hard on my heart. Every sin issue that you have is actually an honor issue. This is what the great apostles have taught me in my, in my lifetime in the Word as well. Every sin issue that you deal with is actually an honor issue. It's a case of misplaced honor or dishonor altogether. What honor does is bring order. I'm going to say that again. Honor brings order. Sin, at its core, is disorder and dishonor. Repentance from sin always results in a higher level of honor. Honor for yourself, honor for the Lord that you're repenting towards, and honor for the thing that you have dishonored in the past. Sex is a good thing. Sex needs to be honored, but sex can be a sin if sex is dishonored. Then guess what happens? Everything gets out of whack, doesn't it? It gets out of order. Music is a good thing, but music can become a sin if music dishonors and it gets out of order. Repentance from sin always looks like honor that results in order. The church in chapter 2 of the book of Acts was all, was thousands of people. How did they order it all? They honored each other. How can I expect for God to bring revival here because I honor him and we don't honor each other? Does that make sense? Okay. The, one more last piece on... on uh, yeah, there we go. In order for heaven to be the highest level of, of honor, that's where that we find it, the Bible says that in, in Jesus' prayer that we can bring heaven down here. If we want to experience heaven on earth, we must experience honor amongst each other. The second is devotion. Now these are recipes. These are ingredients. God uses the increase of honor in a man. As a result, it turns into restoration. We all with each other? Devotion is the second. Devotion. 
We believe today that we need to be a, an expert in something. In order to work in society, we have to develop an expertise. We become an expert in our craft, and our craft is then valuable to society, and we become valuable likewise. Easy enough. The Bible and God's kingdom does not work like that. God is the only crafted person there. He is the only expert in the room. And our devotion to Him results in our value. We go to, we go to school because we want to be an expert. This can't work for theology. Think about it. I could become an expert in theology and be in brutal sin. I could walk in here every Sunday and I can be in sin. But I know the word. I've observed God. I cannot be in sin and be in devotion. Devotion is what God requires in his kingdom to be of value. That's how we function together, is honor and devotion. Honor leads to order, and order is always a byproduct of devotion. Think about the thing, have you ever met a car head or a gear head in your life? Okay, someone who's super into their car, restores cars. Is that car a disaster? It's always in order. Does it take time to be devoted to that car in order for it to be in order? Absolutely. See, for me to be devoted to the Lord is a observation of God is getting in his face. I can't be in God's face and at his knees and devoted to him and be in sin. In iniquity. You have a sin issue? Work on your devotion. Work on your honor. Order will come and sin will flee. This is the the restoration process that he brings to his people. Think about the people in the desert. What happened before they crossed the, uh, the Jordan? Did they become better swimmers? Did they all practice the pole vault to get over the river? They realized God was actually God. And in faith, the priests of the Lord stood in the river and it parted. They honored God and devoted themselves their whole life to Him. And as a result, they went farther than they ever could have gone before in their own effort. And what did He do? He took a people that were in a desert and put them in a kingdom. Here we are again. Now they're slaves. Their honor increased. Their devotion to the Lord increased. They started wearing funny bags on their head and dirt all over their face. Because they looked like crazy religious infidels, if you will. They, they, er, infidels, separate people. What happened? They became a people again. They became a nation. They became God's children. The final one is promise. Leviticus 26 is a book that surely would have been read by Ezra. Remember, he stands up in front of all of these people that don't know nothing about the word. And he reads the whole uh, Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. They certainly would have read Leviticus 26, verse 40, which says this. If they confess their iniquity and the iniquities of their forefathers in, in, in their unfaithfulness, which they committed against me, and also in their acting with hostility against me, I was also acting in hostility towards them. To bring them into the land of their enemies and of their uncircumcised heart becomes humbled so that they then make amends for their iniquity. Then I will remember my covenant with Jacob and I will remember also my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham as well. This is when 
the book of the Bible becomes this wonderful, magical uh, miracle, really, for us. We think we don't need the Old Testament today because we have Jesus now. I'm coming to tell you that the Old Testament is Jesus. The gospel is splattered all over the Old Testament. And I'll prove it to you. These people listened to Leviticus 26, verse 40, and they realized if, if, if we remember and honor God, he will remember us and his promises that he's given to, to us. They've learned about from the Old Testament, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. What was the promise to Abraham? Does anybody remember? God said to Abraham that I will give you a seed. I'll give you a son. And out of that son, I will birth a nation. Make sense? Well, these people standing in Nehemiah's time, they're not a nation. They're a mess. They honored him. And guess what happened? God said, I'll remember my promise. The very next book in chronological time from Nehemiah is the book of Matthew. Enter Jesus. The one seed that would birth a nation and save them. In the same way, we our honor for the Lord increases. And guess what happened? There was one seed who gave his life so that we can become a part of the family of God and thus a nation. His restoration process for the nation of Israel in the Old Testament is really a picture of the gospel today. Highlighting to this one truth that it's all about Jesus. And if, in fact, it's all about Jesus, isn't it a little less crazy for them to put dirt on their head and say, I'll die for you, Lord. To deny food. Because, Lord, this flesh doesn't matter as much as you do. When, in fact, if it's true that it's all about Jesus, doing these crazy religious things all of a sudden doesn't seem so crazy. Look, he's restoring you through honor and devotion and promise. Let's get to the last one here. We're going to run out of time. The recipe for restoration. Are we restored? Do we do godly things because of our devotion to him? No. We're restored and do godly things because of his devotion to us. Because the way he honored his father. And the way he said he would keep his promise. Think about, think about Christ in the garden. He says, Lord, can this cup pass me by? He says, no. He says, okay, your will be done. He honors his father. And he was willing to die, the ashes on the head and the sackcloth. He was willing to commit himself unto death for us. He was devoted. And guess what? He kept his promise. That those, that man who knew no sin became sin so that any man who would believeth in him would have eternal life. God's plan for restoration for his nation of Israel is the same for us, but he became the very ingredients needed. Do we see that? Now he enters us. So for those of you that feel like you lack honor or lack um, devotion or, or have the ability not to be in promise with the Lord, you need to know that this morning it's already all done because of his honor, because of his devotion, and because of his promise.
His honor was to his father. His devotion was to us. And his promise was to the world. When we fell in the garden, he began a process of restoration. And he's completing it now. He's completing it in us today. And he's completing it. When he comes again, the recipe will finally be finished. And we will be devoted to the Lord. We will honor each other in heaven. And every promise will be kept. So why do we call it salt? Let's go ahead and bring our worship team up. Our our worshiper up. Alex, can you come up here, please? Get ready for our offering. See, salt is is an amazing ingredient. There's this great depiction of salt that I've heard about in the past. That if, If you had never heard what salt was, you didn't know anything about it, and I handed you a handful of it, and I had you put it in your mouth, what would you do? And I said, okay, I mean, no, salt's really great. What I'm going to do is I'm going to put this salt in our stew. You would say, don't do that. You're going to ruin the stew. It'll all taste like that. It'll just be totally overbearing. I can't handle that. But in fact, is that what salt does? The right amount of salt actually amplifies the flavor in something. It draws it out. We get up in the morning and we think, Lord, I can't pray. I can't do I, Lord, I want to honor you, but I just can't. It's just too overbearing. It'll be too much. I can't take all that. And he's saying, son, daughter, if you let my recipe work, just this piece of it, it'll actually amplify who you are in me. In Matthew 5, chapter 13, or <laughs> Matthew 5, verse 13, he says that we're the salt of the earth. Salt is salty every time. You know that you have that ability? You can be an effective Christian every time. Not because of how hard you work. Salt doesn't work hard to become salt. But because of who he made you to be. And because of the concoction, the recipe that he's starting to put together for this nation. That we can begin to work all the time. You can become this presence of God wherever you go. He's standing up just before he says that on the Mount of Olives. And he's giving his sermon on the Mount. He's, he's declaring this different way of living. He's saying things like, the first can actually be last. He's saying, like, man, actually the poor are blessed. He's saying the meek, let's be with them, not with the rich. And he describes this different style of living that everybody standing in the crowd is like, well, you're cooking, I don't want to eat it. No way, man, I don't want that. And he says this. He says, and you are the very ingredients I'm going to use to prove it. He says, you're the salt of the earth. Then he goes on and says, you're the light of the world. That you're this flesh covered, made out of the dust of the earth. But inside of you is an impenetrable light. The light of God that will change the earth. And he says, if you'll let me, I'll restore you to be, to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. I've got a recipe going, but I have a greater recipe that you're a part of. And he encourages us with this, that we can't do it without any of us. Do you know that you're essential to God's recipe? You're an essential piece of the honor that belongs in heaven. You matter, and that's a reason to be joyous. My mom and all of her dishing and diving and tossing stuff in there, man, it seems like she's never made a mistake. God has not made a mistake with what he's putting together for you in your life. It's a recipe of restoration, not only for you, 
but for the rest of the world as well. Let's read this real quick as we take up our offering. Thirteen, uh, Matthew 5.13 says this, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown and trampled underfoot by offering up here. I pray that you're encouraged this morning. I pray that that helps you. I pray that we begin to allow God to devote our, ourselves back to Him. I pray that we learn how to honor each other because God put the ingredient of honor in us. And I pray that we trust in His promises and we trust that we can make promises as well. Let's pray for this real quick. Lord, we just thank you for your word and for your work. Lord, I pray that those who give to this work today are blessed uh, beyond what they could possibly measure or understand. Lord, I pray that there's honor in the room and devotion to you because you, God, keep your promises. Amen. We're going to stand our feet and worship while we take up the offering, and then we'll come back real quick with the benediction. In the revival that took place in Nehemiah, people were doing crazy things. They were trusting God in what He said and they were responding together. If you need to come into the front and you need to receive prayer for something, if that's your crazy action to listen to God today, I'd like to meet you up here. I'd like to pray for you. I'd like to stand next to you. I'd like to honor you. And if you need to do something else, maybe go pray for somebody else or, or, or spend time with the Lord, man, that's, that's absolutely fine to do so. But I want to give you this blessing before you leave. I pray that the Lord would bless you and that He would keep you and that you would know it. I pray that His, His face would shine upon you in such a way that when the, when the light of His glory touches your face, you would realize and know that you are God's children and be at peace. And I pray that it's a peace that doesn't get experienced when we finish a good day's work or, or the rest after an exercise or something like that. I pray that it's a peace that comes from heaven only. A reminder that we are His and that He is ours. I pray that you have a blessed week. You can come to the front if you need prayer. If not, thank you so much for coming. You're dismissed.